Welcome to Filling the Well, a podcast created to nourish, provoke, and inspire artists and arts leaders. I'm Marianne Combs. More than ever, finding points of connection across differences is key to creating strong, supportive communities. Arts organizations can play a part in making sure everyone, especially those who've been traditionally left out, feel like they belong. On this episode of Filling the Well, we're going to talk about what it means to be a truly welcoming organization and what steps arts nonprofits can make to connect with their communities. My guests for this conversation are two Twin Cities artists whose work is grounded in community and belonging. Ananya Chatterjee is the founder and artistic director of Ananya Dance Theater and the Sean Graham Institute for Performance and Social Justice. Ananya Dance Theater centers women and non-binary people of color. Its performances are not just artistically powerful, but often serve as healing community rituals. Ananya, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. We're also joined by longtime Ananya Dance collaborator and stage director, Marcus Young. Marcus is a behavioral and social practice artist who creates work for the stage, museums, and the public realm. He's served as artist-in-residence for organizations ranging from the city of St. Paul to the Minnesota Department of Transportation. Marcus, thank you so much for being with us today. Hello, and thank you. Marcus, so much of your work is grounded in awareness, you know, whether it was with the St. Paul Sidewalk Poetry Project you started years ago, where people would suddenly be walking down the streets and come across a poem under their feet, or with your Don't You Feel It Too practice of dancing in public and, you know, something that often feels so intimate and awkward, but then doing it out in a public space where nobody else can hear the music but you. When you think about spaces that make you feel welcome, what comes to mind for you in terms of people who are doing this well? And what do you feel or notice when you're in those spaces? Well, I think I first notice that so many spaces are unwelcoming. And what is that experience like for you? What, do you, what are you noticing when you walk in those spaces? Well, it can be so many things, you know, that goes to, you know, all the sort of foundational principles that has brought this world into the being as it is, whether it is related to identity, how we look at each other, how we treat each other, the time or lack of time that we take to be with each other. So welcoming and feeling belonging is actually a constant practice. I wanted to jump in because one of Marcus's and my, you know, one really crucial part of our long-term collaboration has been to help audiences, particularly our BIPOC audiences, feel seen inside of the work. And it's been my desire to invite audiences on stage. And we've, you know, for a while, we've invited people in. And that crafting of that invitation, Marcus and I have really, really gotten deep into figuring out How can we invite people? How? How can they feel safe? What is needed for them to feel seen and safe and see their stories? So, you know, when you said in the beginning that so many times belonging is about organizations, you know, predominantly white institutions saying, okay, how can we create access? I'm interested in how I can dance stories, you know, that actually get are reflected in the eyes. So when I look out into the audiences and offer my dance, we have a mirroring. We have a moment of seeing, yes, I this is your story. And people are saying, this is my story. We're dancing with each other. So 
that mutuality, that that gaze, you know, that gaze that we call also darshan, you know, when we see each other, can we, I see you, you see me. This is, this is very vital for us. But having audiences also on stage at some moments, inviting them to gesture and inviting them into breath as well has been so much part of Marcus's and my deep collaboration. What all of these examples go, speak to is the need to do the work, that it is not just a matter of, well, if we check off this box and check off this box, then they'll come. Ananya, when you work on a project and when you work on a production that involves an issue that maybe affects a community or a group of people in the community in which you live, your company does a lot of research and invites people in for conversations to learn more and to share learning. And I think that time commitment, that directing of your energy to say, we're going to invest ourselves in this so we truly understand this and then share our learnings, uh, is something that many arts nonprofits feel like, I don't have the resources to do that, or that's such an extra leap for me. If you could speak to the importance of doing the work in terms of creating these relationships and making sure that you are reaching people authentically. Yes, thank you, Marianne, for that question. I feel that the biggest problem I have in the way the current cultural scenario is framed is with the terms diversity and inclusion, because there is someone who can reach out to include. I mean, that's just not interesting to me at all. I'm interested in how my dance can be in service of and dancing with. So I think the leap that you are talking about is not in fact a leap at all. It is the only way to devise new work. Because what we do know is that some of the models of choreography or dance making or meaning making that have come to us are in fact not working in so many ways because they're coming from a single point of view. And I find I'm so excited when I bring a particular story that I'm interested in and you know, artists, other artists in the room will start saying, well, this is what I think about. I think about, and Marcus will come in and say, you know, this image was really significant to me when I thought about this. So the deep locality of each artist, the deep research into their own lives that each artist has taken, in fact, is part of that mosaic. In devising the choreography, what I have to remember is, in fact, they will be contradictory. Some of the stories will contradict each other, and yet they will sit together. And that is the same of rhythm, right? If someone is doing a 4-4 four, four rhythm and I'm, I'm coming in with a 3, I'm going to have to listen carefully so my 3s sit in the middle of their 4s. You know, in the same time they're coexisting, we can share space, we can share time, but come in with our differences. That's a training. That's a training of listening. And I think the practice of footwork has really taught me that. Marcus? When you say the work, Marianne, I immediately go to two places. I think of the work of yourself, aligning your internal life so that as you live out your life, that you can inspire and make space for other people. And my second place I go to is this work of fiction that we need to keep creating that inspires us to make reality from fiction. Like if I see places like 
uh, Ananya Dance Theater and, and other organizations are proficient and adept at creating a fictional slash real space. Yeah, that we a place that we yearn for and that they're working to make this space reality. But I, I want to try to be a little bit more helpful than being at the, the internal level and at this grand fictional level. And that is a moment in the very beginnings of my collaboration with Ananya in the rehearsal room as stage director and as I'm trying to understand how this company works. And something about the opening of the show wasn't quite working for me. I was trying to figure out, well, what can I do? Because it's very quite a strange thing to have a, both a choreographer and a stage director in the room. But maybe this is a, a good tip or hint or indication to an organization how it needs to be less linear. Okay, already in that example. So here I am as Ananya. I'd, I'd like to make some suggestions, but my suggestion might upend the opening of this whole scene that you've created. And she just said, no, go ahead, do, do what you need to do. Let's try Okay, so that was that's you know indication number one. The invitation to come and do what you need to do to be yourself, even if we don't know each other all that well. So I gave a few instructions, and in the snap of a finger, the whole scene came to place. The soil, the rich environment, the lack of fear, the complete, like, we're in it together to create something juicy and beautiful, that was so palpable to me it reflected back in that moment. I was like, what just happened? How did a scene create itself? It didn't really create itself, but it was as if it created itself. So in an organization, how do you cultivate that invitation, that, that possibility, and then how do you activate and catalyze it so that these moments emerge? That speaks so much to how if you have people who are invested and feel ownership of the work, that it it's amazing what can happen. And because they all feel like they, they know what they can bring and that they want to bring it. But I mean, that just sounds like an ideal kind of working environment you've created. It was also possible because we knew we shared this value around justice-based performance. I have learned to say to myself, Ananya, just... Don't be precious about what you've created. Let it go because Marcus is seeing it. Marcus is seeing it and he's saying it's not working. And I'll be like, oh my God, I love this moment. And I have to let it go. I think in the push and pull between saying, this is, but Marcus, this is my vision. And Marcus saying, but it is not working. In that he listening to each other, we have created a process that actually moves towards that kind of space where different stories can enter. And this methodology of collaboration, which has emerged organically, is so important. It's bigger than myself. So I think if we organizationally, taking Marcus's cue, I will go to the point of organizationally, what does it mean to have a bigger vision at work? It's not about individual glory. Oh my goodness, I made this, I made all these processes where people could come in, but rather, what is the goal? The goal is justice. What do we need so that people can see the story better? What is What, what needs to happen? I'm thinking about uh, a performance. Is it a performance or is it a ritual? I don't know what to call it. That you choreographed, led this past summer in the neighborhood where Ananya Dance Theater is based. And just how 
powerful that performance and ritual was in terms of creating healing for a community and bringing people of different walks of life together. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what happened this past summer. Yes, it was it was a dream project for me. Um, and it took everything to make it happen. When we moved into the Shangram Institute, we were actually broken into several times. So I began to think of what would happen if we could, together as a community, have a holding place, a container for the safety of all the young people who I would see constantly walking by. And this is also a neighborhood that saw a lot of damage and arson in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Yes. And the Institute, you know, also suffered some damage. And I wondered, what if we could create a social justice corridor all along University Avenue where we could actually say to each other, hey, um, there is this person who needs some support in this way. I don't have the resources, but maybe you do. Can, can they find their way to you? And, you know, sort of this idea of a shared a network that holds our communities. And then we found so many organizations along that whole line and we created these leaves that were made from recycled cardboard. We got together, made all these leaves and flowers and created offered. The whole idea was to create a ceremonial procession of people moving together, energetically shifting the landscape. And I was so, I'm going to be remain so thankful for that. I actually got to participate in this. People from different areas began these processions yes. throughout the neighborhood. And as they processed, they danced choreographed movement. They repeated certain phrases, envisioning a world of differences, celebrating and coming together, sort of weaving together our future. Yes. And then people would see this going by them, and they would join the procession as it walked by and said, well, where are these people going? I want to follow this. And so they start learning the movement and they start saying the chants. And then you stopped at these altars throughout the, at these different locations on University Avenue. And then you all joined together at one location, the three different groups, or I, I don't know if it was three or more, but to see this sort of ritual play out in the neighborhood itself, it felt very healing and powerful in what is considered a very urban area to feel something that was so natural and organic, but also very artistic and beautiful, you know, in a very concrete space. So I just, I think about how you took your organization out into the community to make those connections. And oftentimes organizations are saying, you're welcome to come here. Come come on in. You're always welcome. Why don't you come in? But what you did was you took yourself to the community in a way that was very palpable. What I loved about that was how different artists took initiative. Some people brought their own instruments. While I created the choreography, some of the procession was also, you know, I invited improvisation on that theme. So there was this young artist, this young man, Dakota man, Cruz Novotny, who wore his moccasins and brought sage from his place and danced with us in a diff very different way. He was part of our summer intensive. But what he brought was a different way of youth leadership. And I just, I was moved to tears because he was so beautiful. 
Marcus, I wonder, you know, I think of you as being such a an expert in ritual and space. And I wonder if you have thoughts on that experience this past summer, that event where people were coming together in the city, the power of an event like that to be transformative, but also to be a way of connecting, you know, how we connect with community by showing up in community, by holding space like something like this. Yeah. I think for me that what happened this uh, past summer, and I really, I just got to be a participant and uh, someone who could enjoy this. I go back to this idea of, you know, what was made was um, so beautiful that it can, it feels like it can only exist in fiction, but actually it's right here in front of us. So I'm going back to that sort of fiction and reality um, relationship. And so you get to live in this fiction. Ananya and others made this uh, sort of river of care, this river, this, the, there is no river. This is a very concrete based place, but the love and the movement and the care made it feel like a, a rich, nourishing river that connected various places and helped heal our relationship to those places. So part of that is making space where you can just hang out. And here I want to tell another little story. I'm hanging out at Shangram, and because you can just be yourself, right? There aren't that many places where you can just be yourself. And because you can just be yourself, you can ask silly questions. And I'm sitting next to Uncle Douglas Ewart, and I'm just about ready to start a two-year relationship with, of all places, the Minnesota Department of Transportation. They're exploring what it what it means to have an artist in residence within an organization. And let me tell you, I think every organization should have an artist in residence. Even an arts organization needs to have an artist in residence. And so here I am about to start an artist in residence uh, gig with MinDOT. Uh, this is a 5,000 person agency. And I said to Douglas, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing with MinDOT. What do you think I should do? And he said to me, turn, not missing a beat, he said, turn the highways into rivers, right? That was his sort of like drop of wisdom. And I have held that phrase, turn the highways into rivers, for the last two plus years at Mindad. And I know he means that figuratively and literally and spiritually and emotionally. You know, you receive a... a a phrase like that in all its dimensions. You cannot go to the place of like, well, we can't engineering wise, we can't turn all that, you know, no, no, that's set it, set it down, back away from your linear thinking, you know, embrace the beauty of this fiction and figure out how the reality emerges from that. So for two years, I've been there and I'll give you one small example. This is about space. So they have many, many uninspiring, neglected, beige rooms, conference rooms within this agency, you know. And how we got here is another story, another podcast. <laughs> but here we are. And so I asked, I said, you know, you have this unbeloved conference room 820 on the top floor of the transportation building, which is just two buildings down from the Capitol. No one loves this room. That's what I keep hearing. But you use it because you have to do the work. But you don't understand that you're missing out on how we can gather more beautifully. So could I 
commandeer this conference room 820 and change it into the land acknowledgement confluence room. Okay, so play on words, not just a conference room, but a confluence room. And here they are, you know, in the midst of figuring out, well, what is land acknowledgement? What is land back? As a whole, there are many people within MnDOT who understand land acknowledgement and land back, but the culture doesn't allow land acknowledgement and land back to surface. So I wanted to make a space, a placeholder, the purpose of which is to shift culture one degree only, because it's just one conference room. And and how did you do that? Can you describe the room for me so that people can understand how it's different? Yeah, first of all, the room originally was literally beige. And the table and the chairs in the center of the room took up all the space so that all you could do was sit around it and be at the edge of the room. And then the posters that used to be there, that were like from the 90s, I think, that said like words like goals and then like a winding path, you know, that kind of thing with some leaves. So what we started by doing was just imagining the space uh, as a space of care and a space of nourishment. So we took out the big table. We took out all the bulky chairs. Uh, we brought in, yes, yoga mats and meditation cushions. There will be, you know, fruit and granola bars in the room for people to come in just for that purpose. We turned the um, water cooler just outside into a place where you can pick up a little blessing card so you connect to the water and you're not just filling up your water bottle. You're saying, hey, take a little prayer card that says, oh, I am grateful for this water that nourishes me. And I understand the connection that in this water cooler to the greater water outside of the space. So all different strategies to awaken your senses and awaken who you are as a human being and see other human beings, not just workers, but then renaming the room, the land acknowledgement confluence room and trying to create a space that does that title justice, which in addition to all the, the nourishing things, I was also exposing some of the past injustices. So on the walls are quotes from fellow MnDOT staff that said, what we did was wrong. You know, whether that was Rondo or whether that was digging up graves of native burial grounds. You know, so like reminders that what we do, we have to be very careful. We have to be very thoughtful about what we're doing. And so we're in the midst of finishing that now. This the space allows you to feel like a whole person. People walk in, they're like, oh, yes, the previous space, that beige space that denied my, my whole being was just treating me as a worker. But here I get to understand my identities and other people's identities. So I can relax, I can breathe. You know, no time more important in our history, recent history at least, is the importance of breath and breathing. So here I can breathe. I can be myself. I can find inspiration within the art on the walls. I gave a little uh, presentation about this idea to senior leadership and the commissioner was there. And the commissioner said, we need more of this. Why only one room? So you see one room sparks the idea that all places Yes, all places can be the land acknowledgement confluence room, but other things as well. So we need to transform all these places into places of new fiction, new ideas, the new world. And I think it's possible, but I I can only do one room at a time. So I hope others will (laughs) join me. (laughs) 
That's so beautiful. And the idea of you are turning this... I, I, I cringe a little when you say fiction because I, it feels like it's, it's a reality right. that you are continuing to build. And it, it is so important what you're doing in terms of transforming space so that people feel more human. In those spaces, you know, this is such a, a a perfect example. Both of these, in terms of the what happened this summer, and then and this transformation of space. I'm wondering what other advice you would have for people who are seeking to make authentic connections with their community, but maybe they are not as schooled in this as you are. They are in the beginning of this path. So, where do you point them? What direction do you point them in, Ananya? I would point them deep into themselves. You know, I understand as a parent what happens with, I, I understand Black Lives Matter from, my, from the perspective of being a parent. If I could not tell my child to go outside and play for a second, the fear, I, you know, my, my daughter is 25 and I'm, I have to make her text me when she reaches home every night because it's too much for me. I, I, I worry about her. So I, what is that? What is, how does the, the mother of a black child feel when this level of systemic oppression is constantly out there? So I feel that could be my child is the first thing we have to go to, you know, or that could be my brother, that could be my sister. It's, you know, I think to understand each other in, relationship, this word Marcus keeps bringing up, the relationality, whether we like it or not, to understand that and to understand how sometimes systems are such that they perpetuate themselves, right? So that we are often involved in creating harm, even if it wasn't an intentional act. That, you know, looking at oneself is actually the first way to begin connecting with each other. I can understand from this place. I'm so sorry. Um, I think I think that's the first step, actually. And I really have to say that I have learned so much from my Indigenous sisters, Sharon Day and Janice Bad Moccasin, who have taught me constantly about relationship, being in relationship, not just with those we consider human, but also with the world, with the environment, with four-leggeds, and everyone, um, I think that understanding that is constantly part of this view of understanding life in a different scale than life for the, lived for the sake of purpose. And it helped me to connect to struggles that I see at home where, you know, in India sometimes where people, you know, this, this fight over land and people are suddenly saying land is something that we purchase and no, land is mother, actually. So um, this notion of relationality in our views is so crucial. It connects me to, you know, it connects me both to what my mother taught me and to what I'm relearning here. What I think your comment speaks to is primarily that you have built deep relationships with people who are different than you and have learned from them and have taken those learnings to your work. Even in that, I think some people have a fear around the idea of like finding some, reaching out to someone who is different and being like, I need to learn from you. I want to be in relationship with you. 
I want my arts group to do a better job of seeing you and welcoming you. For some people, that is still a very scary thing. So how do you go about, I mean, for you, it's second nature now, but how do you go about creating those relationships and those collaborations? You know, I know that nobody likes to be included because they are politically expedient. I know that, and I know how icky that feels. So it's because I'm genuinely interested in what their story is or their craft. I'm moved by it, so I want to do that. Um, I, I'm, in, you know, I'm genuinely interested, and I think that is the best recipe. Wow, what you know, so amazing what you did. So I think if we can really, maybe if we can move away from the capitalized notion of art and think about being actually letting the I think about, you know, Chamatkar Asana, whether your heart opens in wonder, right? For the heart to open, you know, so for your upper body to open, your rib cage has to remain closed and your navel to spine has to remain connected. So when I can stay grounded, my heart can open, in other words. So I think that making space in my heart for difference and um, being amazed by colleagues, you know, when Marcus floats through the museum, that early, early project many years ago. At the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, sort of things like that. It's just like, wow, how did they come up with that? That's so fascinating. I think being able, being available to be amazed by others is actually what creates rich collaboration because you realize, wow, you know, the work can be bigger, the everything can be bigger. And I love community. I have to say, I have to say that the idea of dancing alone is just boring. Mm. I want to be with my, with my people. You mm-hmm. know, I love it. I love people. I'm energized by people. So it just, it energizes me back in return. I want to point out something that Ananya just did, which is the, um, the question of, you know, what can people do if they feel like they don't know where to start? And Ananya just helped me and helped us uh, reconnect to our bodies, first of all, right? Your spine, your heart, your posture, your openness, your strength, your core. So uh, as a species, we do a horrible job of understanding how the body plays a role in everything. We just think of this body as holding up the head, you know, the pedestal for the head. We really got to get away from that. And so what Ananya just led us doing to connect to the navel to spine and, you know, our sits bones, I'm sitting at the moment, you know, that is a very important part of doing the work. And I'll just add, because I frankly don't have the same skills as Ananya does in terms of creating these relationships. I mean, there's quite something quite to marvel at. My own path of how to build relationships and how to build uh, the potential for connection has been to focus on form and the form of what? The form of gathering, the form of how to be together, whether that's in a meeting or that's in a room or that's in a conversation, the social practice of being together. And what do we do together? Do we dance? Do we eat? Do we live in a museum together? We have to keep creating new forms. The old forms will not serve us. So what new forms of coexistence and co-learning are our art organizations and beyond art organizations going to be 
uh, making together new forms so that we can do all the things that Ananya was, was just talking about. We've talked a lot about welcoming artists into spaces. I wonder if we can talk about welcoming audiences into spaces and how you create a space where everyone feels welcome in the room. I've had great friends and, um, when you know, at the Y, y I would take some group uh, fitness classes and there were some of my friends who loved that. You know, they would come and they would say, I love the work. Don't understand it. Can you have subtitles? I was like, no, no, can't have subtitles. But I think what that told me was there are ways of meaning making that, you know, different ways of meaning making. And somehow we have managed through the corporate sort of, through a corporate notion of art, we've managed to push it as being this, you know, museumized notion of art so that there are some people who will understand it and others who won't. You know, somehow somehow it's been separated out, you know, dance or performing arts or arts as being part of an elite culture only. When we know that artistic practice actually sits in all across the board, it's for everyone. So how can we invite in people into our kind of meaning making, which is not linear, which is not, which is more mosaic based, which is more about interaction. Um, how can we do that? This is why Marcus and I have worked. One of the questions in our collaboration was that. And I think much of the feedback Marcus gives is from that point of making palpable without ever saying that we are going to change the modality of storytelling so it becomes one linear story. How can we hold this whole notion of juxtaposition, intersectional storytelling, keeping it abstract, keeping it, keeping it metaphoric, because that is what we do in dance. How can we still invite in people? You know, okay, so Ananya, is, is this a, it's a funny moment, right? Ananya says, I, I, her friends or her, her workout mates say, love the work, don't get it. Basically, that's what they're saying. Love the work, don't get it. Okay, so, I mean, really to open that up a little bit, why don't you get it? Okay, yes, there is something that Ananya and I can work on to clarify, to make the work stronger, to excel even more. But recently, I had the opportunity to, to write something where I said, don't watch the work with your eyes, not just your eyes. Can you watch the work? Can you open yourself up to the work? Can you receive the work with your whole body? Are you capable of doing that? And I think there is something about how we understand art that makes it very limiting of what an audience is and what an artist is and what is the transaction at an event between artist and audience. And there is something basically wrong. The paradigm is so limiting such that when audiences come, they are only viewing the work with such a narrow bandwidth that they, can, they will say, love it, but don't get it. So what's our practice of helping the audience to open up and uh, receive the work as a whole? And, and Marianne, as you were saying, even the moment of getting up and doing the gestures, uh, preparing ourselves that we are not these like, don't move, don't make a sound, 
stay in the dark, watch the watch the thing, clap at the appropriate moments. Like that's denying so much of ourselves. How can we continue transforming what art can be so that we get away from these notions of what is proper audience behavior and proper artistic behavior? How can we open up the relationship to art? So, and I make participatory art. So I'm really trying to figure out like, okay, we're not, we're not doing that thing. We're not doing that thing where you go to a museum and you stare at the walls and your back is to every other person in the gallery. You know, the, 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 what, what type of human behavior says that we're going to spend hours just keeping our backs to each other and not, you know, you might be like with hundreds of other people in the museum, but you might not have a moment of connection with another human being. So, you know, so we have to really rethink what art can be if we want some of our, you know, ideas of diversity and inclusion to, to transform our world. I would love to hear how you came up with the land acknowledgement that started your most recent show and how that became a participatory event for the entire audience. Uh, the land acknowledgement is actually, so it's, it's something it's a, that you experience, a land acknowledgement that you experience is actually a shortened version of what we do in our practice. So in traditional performance, in Indian traditional performance, you begin and end practice or performance with pranam. Pranam is salutation, and it is really a salutation to the earth. The earth, we are doing footwork on the earth. So we need to, we need to ask the blessing off the earth before we do that. However, we are here on indigenous land. So we workshopped a lot with Janice Bad Moccasin, important Dakota leader, and Sharon Day, an important leader in the Anishinaabe communities. And I created our pranam based on that. That, you know, so the land acknowledgement is not a statement, oh, we acknowledge that we are on this land, but it is in our body. And I, you know, I understand 100% the weight of putting something in your body. Every day I am going in and I am holding up Mini Shota Makoche. Every day I am saying Zagi, which is love. Uh, I am saying Mitakuye Oasin, which is we are all connected. My breath, my body, my voice are all connected in the articulation of that. I believe that has weight. I believe that shifts me. So, you know, we were talking about Hue inviting audiences in. Marcus actually brought in the breath element by saying, okay, let's everyone watch with your entire being. And then we crafted it from that because it is part of the practice in the space. And just as somebody who was in the audience and who has witnessed so many land acknowledgements of varying effectiveness to actually be invited to stand, breathe, and say these words in indigenous languages with you before a performance felt so much more grounding and real and stayed with me in a way that it wouldn't have otherwise. And I think you're not Native American. Marcus is not Native American, but you have created this space where Native American people feel seen and recognized and their culture is valued. So important. We are here on native land and that is 
you know, that commitment is so important for us that we are able to invite in, you know, Native communities, yes. I want to add just one thing based to, you know, about the audience invitation. I also created this audience empowerment workshop that we would do before every performance just to get people talking about what they see. And because I teach dance and dance history, I know that what we see is sometimes different than, than what we think we see. And, you know, sometimes the interpretations would be very different from what I thought I was choreographing. That's good feedback for me, but I would also invite audiences to say, title this piece. If you were to see this, you know, see this excerpt, you see it once, now give it a title that you would like, and now let's see it from your lens. We'll do it again for you. So, you know, just ways in which we remind people, our audiences, our beloved audiences, that they have a power of metaphoric interpretive thinking. Imagination belongs to all of us, and we cannot allow, um, you know, this notion of capitalism to cut it out, out of us, you know? Imagination is for all of us. I would say that um, woven throughout our conversation today, we haven't articulated or we haven't said it, said it, but it's ideas and practice of spirit. And why I wanted to say that word once before the end of our conversation is because, you know, you know of all things in my conversations with Mindot, I heard very clearly someone say, we bring technical solutions to crises of the spirit, wow. meaning we need to watch ourselves. When are we, when are we not practiced enough in understanding each other as spiritual beings going through this human experience. And we cannot just offer technical solution after technical solution after technical solution. We are not logistical technical beings. So my last contribution to this conversation is that woven into all of what we've said is how to deepen our understanding of spirit as whole beings and to care for each other that way. Beautiful. Thank you so much to both of you for being here today. Thank you. I love Thank the invitation. You. Yeah. Yay. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Filling the Well. Our guests for this episode were Ananya Chatterjee, founder and artistic director of Ananya Dance Theater, and behavioral artist Marcus Young. I'm your host, Marianne Combs. Want to dig deeper into the ideas behind this episode? Visit the Arts Midwest Ideas Hub. It's a collection of free, curated articles and tools to help creative leaders foster growth within their organizations and communities. Go to artsmidwest.org ideas for more. On the next episode of Filling the Well, we ask, at a time when there's so much need, how can we best advocate for the arts? Anytime that I'm advocating for an artist, it's, it's almost like I have to remind people, like, these are human beings with families and lives and, and bills to pay and child care that they need to take care of. Like, they are human beings who are in your community living and working amongst you, and there is no reason why they don't deserve the support and the attention and the funding, frankly, that, you know, all these other sectors are receiving. Transportation is an arts issue. Housing is an arts issue, right? And I think the more that we show up for those pieces that matter to our communities, the more our community does show up for us. That's a way to combat 
this sort of othering that happens for creative workers and artists. Advocating for the arts on the next episode of Filling the Well. I hope you'll join us. This podcast was produced and edited by Emily Goldberg and mixed by Eric Romani, with original music by Damian Strange. The Filling the Well series is made possible with financial support from the Barr Foundation. Based in Boston, the Barr Foundation's mission is to invest in human, natural, and creative potential, serving as thoughtful stewards and catalysts.